Good morning, family. Uh, for those of you who are new, my name is Pierre. I have the joy of uh, leading this community, and I'm excited about starting our brand new series today called Out in the Open. For the next eight weeks, we're going to be journeying through the letter of 1 Peter together as a church community. Uh, it is a fascinating letter. It is so practical. It is full of life. And I imagined myself in reading it and preparing for it, how those hearers of this letter must have felt in hearing it. Because when we read it, we read it in chapters and verses, but they, they, they listen to it as a continuous read. And over and over and over again, there's these things that Peter's writing to the people of God that is just an awakening in them exactly who they are and how they should live. So out in the open will be us pausing around these ideas of what it is to be followers of Jesus out in the open, out there in the world? What should our lives look like? How do we become witnesses to this thing that we sang about this morning, that salvation belongs to our God? How do we live that out in the open? The question we hope to answer is, how should Christians live in a non-Christian society as a new community of people with a discernible, different lifestyle? And that's important, a discernible different lifestyle, not just blending in, looking like the rest, but there's a difference because that's how we call to live. You look at that little house and that house sticks out and that is a representation of what we as the followers of Jesus look like in this world. In the middle of this letter, in chapter 3 verse 15, it says this, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life, meaning he owns your life and then when someone asks about the hope that you have as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Live your life out in the open, and when the world asks, be ready. Be ready to explain it. What do we have to explain? Well, simply the gospel, the good news. And in a moment, we're going to hear from someone else in the community explaining the gospel to us. But you would have found uh, what is the gospel card on your seat uh, if you didn't pick up one, look for one around you. Maybe it's fallen to the floor. As, as long as each one of you have one, we'll have more up front here after the service. We'll have them available every single Sunday after the service. And I want you to stick it up somewhere, stick it in your Bible. That's if you do read your Bible, because you've got to open it up and pull it out there and read it. So wherever you're reading, use it as your Bible bookmark. Uh, stick it up in your mirror, put it up in your car. In fact, we're going to send you guys some screensavers for your phone that you can put this on as a screensaver. I've done, done that a couple of months ago. And you know what? Conversations has come up because people look at my phone and it looks like a message. So they start reading my message like, oh, the gospel. <laughs> and what we want to do over the next weeks is not just speak about the gospel and get to memorize what the gospel is and its definition, but we're going to be stopping at each of the statements of the gospel, and we're going to learn from one another how to communicate this in a way that people understand it out there. The gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died in our place. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving to be the Son of God and offering the free gift of salvation to any, and forgiveness of sins to anyone who believes, repents, 
in, uh, repents and believes in him. You see, even I am still working on getting it right. But it's not about just saying it. It's about understanding what I'm saying. It's about slowing it down. Say, the gospel is the good news. Why? When you're in conversation with someone, you're not just going to recite the thing and say, the gospel is the good news that Jesus, that God became. You see, when we try and do it like that, we miss the point. So in order to help us grow in our understanding of what we are professing as believers, we're going to stop. And this morning, Sibu Makoni is going to help us understand that first statement. Sibu, please come and join me. The gospel is the good news. That's where we're going to be pausing this morning. Great. Over to you. Good morning, church. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> morning, Matthew. <laughs> okay. My name is Wusisua or Michelle Makoni. So I gave my life to the Lord just, just after high school at a youth camp. Praise the Lord for that. There's hope for the youth. <laughs> so before then, I had been born in a Christian family, going to church every day. I attended kids' church, scripture union from primary school to high school. And everything was perfect until the parents divorced. My world changed because this was my home. And this home fell apart. This was my happy place and a safe space against the world. So my sister and I found ourselves in a very lonely place. And as the parents and the two extended families fought and exchanged words, hateful words. This created bitterness, anger, loneliness, and shame, as our family was perfect. At that point, we were left with a choice to choose between them and the words that they said to each other, and it was very ugly. But thank God, we did not stop going to church. We continued going to church, and the word would be preached every day. But guess what? This was a habit. As we went to church, we sat, had the word, walked away, and nothing changed. I felt very lonely, embarrassed, and very shameful to be part of a broken family. There was no love for me anyway. I became vulnerable. And this did not make any sense as I failed to comprehend this love that was preached day in and day out and that I said to hear in the church every day. However, the good news that God loves me was preached and it caught my attention one day. And this is when I had a personal encounter and this just changed my life because it was then when I realized and understood all that had been preached all along, that God loves me. And it was from that moment that I learned of true love. True love that loves you just as you are. 
True love that loves you as broken as you are. True love that lo loves you as shameful as you are. True love that makes you whole when you feel lonely. So I began to dwell more on the gospel of the Lord. And the more I dwell more, I dwelt more in his word. I felt complete. He made me whole. I changed. My life was full of joy. The family was still apart, but it just didn't make sense. But all I could just tell people or share was that I have the love of God in me. So I fell in love with Jesus, and my life was never the same. Not only did he love me, but his love began to affect my family and all the relationships that were around me. So today, I want to share this with you guys, that the gospel is indeed the good news. Because God became a man, he felt the loneliness that I had, he carried the pain that I had, the shame of being part of a broken family, and made me whole. God loved me unconditionally, and he said, come just as you are, as broken as you are. And this is why I stand sharing this with you, and this is why I'm able to love, and this is why I have hope even for marriages. I have hope even for other broken relationships that we find in our families, in the society, and in this nation. And God, and the gospel is good because God changes men. He changes every situation. You see, the moment I gave my life to the Lord and I started falling in love with him, I was never the same. And today, this is why when I worship him, I worship him freely. I give him my all and I'll never be the same again and I'll forever love him. Amen. Come on, who's encouraged by that? So simple. The story of sad news being turned around by the good news. That Jesus carried our pain, carried our burdens, understood what it meant to feel lonely, understood what it meant to feel the shamefulness of sin and brokenness. That's the good news. The word gospel means good news. What's your story? And it's as simple as telling your story that will lead you to live your life out in the open like these first Christians did that we're going to discover in a moment that's going to let us see a harvest of souls coming to the kingdom of God. Because we are a people who know what we are defined by. We are defined not by our circumstances, not by our families, not by our history, not by where we've been, not by bad news. We are defined by the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's pray together. Lord, I pray for us as a community this morning. As we set our feet on this journey of growing in our ability to share the gospel, in growing in our understanding of what it is to look to this world like something else, out in the open, that you would build our stories, that you would encourage us in our stories. Lord, that we would be able to share our stories boldly, just like Sibu did in church. Lord, may she have an opportunity this week to share it out there and see someone hear this message of what Christ can do in our lives. Lord, teach us. Jesus, we come humbly. And I ask, Lord, that you would teach us as a community, again, 
how to share the hope that we carry so that we are ready when anyone asks, Lord, that fear would fall down. The fear of man would stop, would cease, and we would open up our mouths and say, yeah, let me tell you about what Jesus has done for me. We trust you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to show you a picture, and I want you to speak out at the moment the picture goes up, up, what do you see? So I'm going to cue the picture in one, two, three. What's that? Okay. Who said duck? Who said rabbit? Okay, great. We've got some rabbits in the room, and we've got some people who ducked. Uh, it's not quite clear. It depends on where you sit. It depends on the angle you see it in. You've got to look at it. But now that you know that there's a rabbit and a duck, you can actually see both, right? becomes a little bit more defined. So the next picture, I want you guys to see how many legs does this elephant have? The more you look, <laughs> the more impossible it becomes, right? Your head says, how many? Your head says, who said five? Can we help you? We've got a deliverance ministry after church. We'll pray for you. <laughs> <laughs> but the, you look at that, you're like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It messes with my brain. Let's see what you see immediately when you see the next picture. Ah, look again. There's a lion and there's a baboon, right? But it took us a while to figure that out because our brain said three and they were, oh, wait a minute. There's a lion and there's a baboon. Hidden in the tree. Let's cue the next picture. What do you guys see? You guys sure? What's that? Anyone want to try? Be bold. A stick man. Can we sit on that, a stick man? <laughs> now you guys are giggling awkwardly because what am I missing? <laughs> but that's how we as Christians should live. Clearly defined, discernible to the world that he or she is a follower of Jesus. Yet, we walk through our lives and people are like, I know there should be four legs, but I see six. I know he or she professes Jesus, but something looks a little off. I don't know if I'm seeing a rabbit or a duck. I see a tree and I hope to go to the tree, but there's some hidden things that I See, when I get a little bit closer, but the letter of 1 Peter is all about that, defining what it is to be a community living out there in the world. Peter wrote this letter to say, out there in the world, out in the open, be sure that you know how you should be defined so that when your picture comes up, people can confidently say, that is a stick man. We have a father who has defined us we have a jesus who has bought us and we have the holy spirit who empowers us to be a community who embodies an identity that the world can clearly see so this morning i'm going to title my message that you may proclaim that you may proclaim and the word proclaim is an important one because there is this idea and somehow it's been ascribed to St. Augustine that you can live your life and preach the gospel 
and if necessary, use words. Anyone's heard that? Christianity is a proclamation religion. It's a proclaiming faith. And 1 Peter 3 verse 15 makes it very clear. Live your life, but when people ask, come on, be ready to speak the gospel. Be ready to speak the good news. And I've got to ask this question, when last did you confidently speak the good news of Jesus in the world out there? We were giving a definition that we may proclaim. He's defined us so that when the world comes to us and says, tell me about the hope that you have, that we can confidently say, let me tell you about this man, Jesus, who's given everything to be where I am today. This letter is written to the church, the first church, the, the new birth church that, that is now scattered. They were together in Jerusalem and Peter, as their first pastor, is writing to them a pastoral letter because they are now dispersed. They were together, they were worshiping together, but things have happened and they are out there in the world. And he says, I'm going to write a letter to you as resident aliens, as people living out there in different countries, not as part of that country, not as citizens of that country. And I'm going to use that analogy to explain to you how Christians ought to live in this world. Because our citizenship is in heaven, and we are sojourners in this life. We just get to walk through here. But all of us somehow find ourselves living here and hoping for heaven one day. But Peter said, those who are in Christ, you are resident aliens. You should not let the life of this world define who you are. You should let heaven and who the Father says define who you are. And you should be defined by the cross as empowered by the Holy Spirit. So the church went to Jerusalem and through persecution. And I believe through God's sovereign and divine plan, he's dispersed the church into Asia Minor under Roman rule, and Peter says, I'm going to write a letter to these guys. Now that we can't gather anymore, I need to remind them how defined they need to look so that people don't wonder, is it a rabbit or a duck? But the people could say, these are the followers of Jesus out there. For them as resident aliens living in other countries, which wasn't their own, it meant that there weren't a lot of great work opportunities. They were given the lesser works, that they were enslaved, many of them. It meant that they were taxed higher than those who lived in those communities as citizens. And they were also living under the rule of Nero in that time, who was leading Rome. And Nero had his, his thing with Christians. He scapegoated Christians for every bad thing that happened. There was a fire in the year 64 in Rome, and he said the Christians started the fire. But what was interesting is that Nero and his close confidants, they, their places haven't burned down. The whole city have burned down except theirs. And there was this idea, maybe, maybe he actually started the fire to get more dominion over the, over the people. But he said, no, it was the Christians. And he started this crusade against the Christians to burn them. So living in different countries, being dispersed, probably working as a slave, being highly taxed, and living in this world where Nero is against you, the ruler of the Roman world is trying to set you alight, alive. Peter writes this letter and says, guys, remember, you are citizens of heaven. Your citizenship is not here. You are in temporary dwellings. You pitch your tent, but that tent is going to get out of the way 
when Jesus returns. So we've got to understand the context in which he writes this deep pastoral letter to his people. So let's read together the first nine verses, the opening verses of this letter, 1 Peter 9. Uh, 1 verse uh, 1 to 9. <clears throat> I'm reading from the ESV. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pont- Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, that this faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you... Do not see him now. You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He starts this letter by clearly defining the believer's identity. By clearly defining the believer's identity. And I had to pause and think about this for a moment this week. Are we still that defined? And in a moment, I'm going to show you how he defines us. But I had to think about the world. I had to think about the church. I had to think about what we've made of church. I had to think about even the liturgy. Liturgy is a fancy word for the way we do church services. I don't know if you know that this way of programmed church has only happened over the past hundred years when some ideas have come into how do we worship together on a Sunday. And I had to think about the modern world we live in and all the influences from the Western world and we had to stop and ask, do people still see Christians as different to the world? I had a big moment in my heart last year when I read an article by a non-believer who is a journalist and a columnist for various um, newspapers around the world. He writes for the New York Times sometimes. He writes for different uh, opinion uh, newspapers. And he wrote about a Christian church uh, that had a pastor, which was very well known, fall into uh, massive sexual immorality, and it has shook the church. But for him, who was a believer before, being part of this church at some point, actually attending it, he left as an unbeliever saying, I don't see the difference in those people's lives when I look at them and I compare them to the world. It looks the same. It looks the same inside on a Sunday with the vibe and the, 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 the coolness and everything than what it looks out there in the world. In fact, the church is really trying hard to look as much as we can in the world. And this guy writes this. And this broke my heart when I read it. He says, Christianity seems to be an inessential add-on. It's something we plug into our worlds. He says, and if it is such an inessential add-on, 
Why even become a Christian? And then his final paragraph, and one of the things that he wrote, is the one that really impacted me. He said this, I'm not religious, so it's not my place to dictate to Christians what they should and should not believe. Still, if someone has a faith worth following, I feel that their belief should make me feel uncomfortable for not doing so. If they share 90% of my lifestyle and values, then there's nothing especially inspiring about them. Instead of making me want to become more like them, it looks very much as if they want to become more like me. That's the message the world carries. It seems like the church is really trying hard to be as cool as the world, be as relatable, be as connecting. And yes, we do those things, but to what end? To proclaim the gospel. And the gospel is uncomfortable. The gospel is you've got to lay down your life. The gospel is you've got to stop thinking about yourself. The gospel is you've got to sacrifice yourself. The gospel is you've got to move away from your narcissistic notion of me and what I want. And you've got to lay it all down and follow the one who's given his life for you. Because within that laying down, you resurrect to a new life. And out there in the world, it looks completely different. Have we maybe tried really hard to fit into the world and we were never meant to do that? And here Peter writes to a people and he says, out there, out there in the world, out in the open, remember your identity. Four things that we see in this opening statement that he writes is divine origin, end time inheritance, fire tested faithfulness, and royal representatives. Let's talk about divine origin. He opens up his letter, reminding the readers and hearers where they come from. You are elect exiles. You were chosen by God to live as exiles, as sojourners, as walkers through in this world. You were chosen by God to be living in a way that you're just passing by. But remember that you are chosen. You are elect. You are the chosen people of God. Have you ever seen a kid get 10 rand from his mom or dad being sent into the spa and said, go and buy a chocolate? That little toddler takes that chocolate and walks into that spa confidently because he's got a 10 rand and he goes through all the things that he gets to buy with his 10 rand confidently and he picks up that chocolate so confidently because his dad was out there saying, hey buddy, go and buy a chocolate. Have you ever seen a kid like that? It was amazing when we were in Ireland once, we, my sister visited us there from the States and we were together as two families and it was a lovely thing to just tell the kids, here's money, go down to the spa, which was maybe about a kilometer and a half away, not stressing too much because in our streets here, we don't always have that confidence, but the confidence gave them to say, it wasn't 10 rand, it was a pound because you can't do much with 10 rand in, in Ireland. They went down confidently knowing that they were chosen by their parents to go and do this. That delight, that excitement to know where I'm coming from. And Peter says, Christians, believers, those who follow Jesus, remember your divine origin. Remember where it all started for you. Remember when it started in Jerusalem and the church happened and the Spirit was poured out. Remember that. Remember that you were born again to a living hope. Not a maybe hope, but a continuous living hope. Remember where you come from. 
And to us this morning, church, let's remember where it started for us in Jesus Christ. Like Sibu shared this morning, everything changed when the love of God was shed abroad in her heart. Everything changed. We've got to remember our origins. Knowing where we come from and knowing what our mission is puts us out there in the open so that the world can say there's something different about Marcus. And I want to find out what it is. Let's read again 1 Peter 1, verse 1 to 3 in a different translation. The New Living Translation says it like this. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners. There we go. You're living as foreigners in this world, friends. I wanted to bring my passport here this morning and set it on fire. I thought that's a little dramatic. (laughs) But that's how I feel. (laughs) We're living as foreigners in this life, guys. He says, I want God's chosen people who are living as foreigners to know this. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. And the Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed Him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. few things that we read in this verse about the origins, where it starts for us in our walk with Jesus. First of all, we are God's chosen and this goes for the Hebrew people that read this letter the people of Israel that God has chosen before time but it also goes as much for the Gentiles those that met Jesus later on we read in the story of Peter's journey in Acts chapter 10 and 11 where the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the Gentiles after the moment we had the vision where God says I'm choosing people of all nations of all kinds of all histories of all backgrounds to become my chosen people and he says Friends, family, church, believers, followers of Jesus, remember, He chose you. He chose you. God, the creator, the ultimate, He chose you. Doesn't that already change how we want to live out there? He chose you. Not just that. Remember that you're foreigners. Your citizenship is in heaven. You're on the way there. Live as if you're already there, but live here with your feet grounded here. But live as if you're already in that citizen. Live as if that is your passport. Some people, maybe I've been there once, we, like we covered the, the strong passports, like the American ones or the UK ones, which can just get us in, anywhere into the world. It doesn't compare. It doesn't even compare. It pales in comparison to knowing that I am a citizen of heaven. My passport is that I belong to God that he chose me, that I belong to him. Not just that, you are known by the Father, it says. There's a deep, intimate connection of knowing. And not just that, the Spirit sets you apart. He chooses you and he puts you apart from the world. And you are born again to a living hope. How important that moment when everything changes and we are being born again. Jesus said to Nicodemus, man must be born again. Man must be born again to be saved. He's given us much more than a 10 rand to go and buy chocolates at the spa. Do we walk with that confidence, knowing where we come from? But Peter is so, so, so clear on what he wants to give these people that he says it's not just about where you come from. Let's talk about where you're going. And he speaks about our end time inheritance. He says, this is your divine start But here is your end. And the end time inheritance is what it points us to next. Next slide. There we go. 
Don't just know where you come from, but know where you're going. That kid with the 10 rand knows that once that chocolate is bought, I'm going to get back into my dad's car. And it's not just about getting back into the dad's car. It's about knowing that with dad, I get to go home. And with dad, dad does everything that I need to have a safe space. And with that, dad will set up life in such a way that he will take good care of me. It's not just about knowing where you come from. It's knowing where we're going. And we don't only have a divine start, but we have an incomparable ending. When Jesus Christ returns and we step into our full inheritance. When you live out there, Peter says, know where you come from, but keep your head high knowing where you're going. Let's read that again. It says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You have been saved the moment that you are born again in Christ. But Peter reminds us that there's the final saving that will happen when he returns, when the fullness of Christ is revealed. Let's live there. Let's live there. I love the words he's using to describe this. Inheritance. Your inheritance. He was writing to both the Hebrew and the Gentile people. And he says, you are foreigners. And to the Hebrew people that was dispersed from Jerusalem and their homeland into the world, they didn't have anything. There was no physical earthly inheritance for them. They were living as resident aliens in countries that didn't want them. And he said, that's okay. Because there's another inheritance that you have. How are we building? Are we building for an earthly inheritance? You know what? When Jesus comes, your earthly inheritance is going to go... In a moment, gone, gone. All of that effort, all of that focus, and I'm not saying an earth inheritance is a bad thing. We know principally that that is a good thing to pass it on to generations to come. But for what purpose? So that more people could live knowing that Jesus comes and he's going to reveal the fullness of the inheritance that he's keeping for us. And Peter makes sure that we know just how important this inheritance is. He says, it is being kept, it is imperishable. It doesn't deviate with the stocks. <laughs> it doesn't go left or right and up and down. This one stays and it sticks. And it's lavish and it's incomparable to anything you'll have in this world. But not only imperishable, it's undefiled. It's not tainted by things like our inheritance in this world is often tainted by things. But not only that, it's unfading. It doesn't go into different degrees. It stays there. It sticks there. It is sure. It is set in eternity. It remains there. But not only that, God is keeping it for us in heaven. And in fact, He guards it. Who knows that when the creator of the universe guards something, that's pretty solid. Even the best of people out there in the world can try and guard their money. But robbers can get in and get it. Today, a cyber attack can steal money from the most influential and powerful people in the world. There's nothing in the world that guards our inheritance. We might think that we have those securities and we might be as secure as we want and we've got 3D secure and all these systems, but those systems can fail in a moment. It's just systems that's been created by man. But this inheritance, Peter says, guys, this one, 
doesn't matter if you had to leave your homeland. It doesn't matter if it's been so painful. It doesn't matter if that piece of property that you wanted to develop that once belonged to your parents is now gone because you are walking towards something that is unfading. If we live like that, wouldn't the world tune in? If we might lose some of our investments, instead of going down the mire and getting in bed depressed for a month, we lift our heads and we say, I've got Jesus. I've got Jesus. In the uncertainty of our economy today, what a confidence we can have. I've got Jesus. I've got Jesus. I had a conversation recently with an older gentleman who said, Pierre, all of our investments have really come to nothing. But you know what? I still have good years ahead of me. I'm going to work. And until that time that I can't work anymore, then I know that God will take care of me because my inheritance is not locked up in my ability. My inheritance is there. I'm a citizen of heaven. And then between knowing where you come from and knowing where you're going, Peter starts speaking about how do we live in the middle. And he speaks about fire-tested faithfulness. And as I said already, for the readers and the hearers of this letter, this was critical. Because their lives were massively disrupted with injustice, with pain, with loss, with accusation, with persecution. Maybe 10% of the world actually gets to never experience that. But 90% of the world as it is today lives there. 90% of the world. If you just start looking, and I, we, we live in a little bit of a bubble here in Helderberg. We do. If, if you start looking around and, and opening your eyes to what's happening around our province, what's happening around our country, what's happening around Africa, what's happening around the world, you start to realize that it's a small minority of people that really gets to walk through this life with not a whole lot of challenges. And he writes this letter to these people that are facing the brunt of everyday suffering. Everyday suffering. And by that, I don't deny that we go through suffering. We all do. We go through the suffering of our own soul, of some dark nights sometimes. We go through the suffering of brokenness in relationship. We go through the suffering of hard times and long months. We go through the suffering of loss, of building something, of a business that is taken away, of being deceited by someone, whatever it is. But Peter writes and he says, when you are in those moments of suffering, remember where you come from. Remember where you're going. And in between, this is how you live. In this you rejoice. Find joy in it. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuous of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor. At the revelation of Jesus Christ, though you have not seen him, you love him. He says, think about gold. Think about it. If gold goes through fire and comes out more goldy, but one day when Jesus comes, gold is going to be gone. It's not going to exist anymore. If that goes through that process, how much more your faith? Our faith was made to be tested, friends. Our faith was made to be tried. Otherwise, what do we need it for? 
What do we need it for if life was just great and vanilla? And all of us in this room know that that's not the true story because it's not. But he says, be faithful. Be rejoicing in these times because you are a people who know where you come from and know where you're going. Let your faith be proven genuine. Let it become more goldy. Let it shine more. Let it come out there. Let it be out in the open so that when people see us suffer and go through difficulty, but there's a smile on our face, not a fake smile, but a deep inner joy smile, they might look, might look at us and say, goodness, Sarah, how do you do that? You're going through all of that? And you raise your hands in church and you sing to this God. Out there, you give me a friendly greeting at school when you drop your kids and you ask how I'm doing, knowing what you're going through. Come on, guys, can we live there? Out in the open where the world looks at us and says, oh, these Christians, man, I don't know how they do it. But there's a genuineness in our faith. And what's the purpose of that? So that it might result in the glory and the honor of Jesus Christ. When you go through difficulty, this is beautiful, get this. When you go through difficulty, use it. Let God do what he wants to do because in the end, Jesus gets to glory. Not you because you're that Oleg and strong and you know Burmaka plan and like men are strong and Afrikaans people this and English people that. And you know how we play these games like yeah, it's heritage and no guys, come on, it's Jesus. And he gets the glory for the fact that I can get through this difficult time. He gets the glory. My faith is proven. Goldy. That's a new word. Because <laughs> out there in the open, people are looking at it and it's shining bright. And then I'm going to jump to chapter 2 where he speaks about royal representatives. Not only can we lift our heads high because we know our origin and we know where we're going, and in between, he gives us the ability to go through our difficulty, but he calls us royal. He calls us royal. The king of kings and the kingdom of kingdoms, which belongs to him, looks at us, his church, and his people and says, you are the royalty in this kingdom. Not Rome and all his soldiers, not Nero, not the Greek gods, all these other things out there. You are the royal ones. I find it interesting how people have this fascination with the royals. This is a repentance moment. Any of you out there? <laughs> I see some hands going like, like the queen. <laughs> but I thought about it. There is a fascination with royalty, right? Even in the movies we watch and the stuff we read and it's fascinating to see how kings live and kingdoms and, and, and the riches and the things they have and the monarchies and all these things. It's, it's fascinating. It's like, oh man, how amazing must it be for just once in your life, Lord, I would just like that for a week, never mind all of my life, to just whatever I want to acquire, I can get. Like, boom, it's there. Like, I feel like a steak for lunch. I don't have to budget. Hey, I can have steak for lunch. It's just there. You know, you know what I'm speaking about? It must be great. There's this fascination with this world, this bubble, this different way of, of, of living that is just, it's not connected to the rest of the world that much. But friends, that's where we ought to live as Christians. That's the identity that he gives us. Let's read this in 1 Peter 1 verse 9 again where he says, no, this is, sorry, reference point. This is 2 Peter. Apologies about that. It says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim. There it is. 
the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. We get to represent King Jesus to this world. Have you ever met someone that's met Nelson Mandela? How do you know that someone has met Nelson Mandela? They tell you. Man, we've met Jesus. Some people have told more people about meeting Nelson Mandela than about representing Jesus. The ultimate royal, the ultimate king, the ultimate kingdom. And Peter says, as you live out in this world, you are royal. You represent the kingdom of God. Not just that, you've got priestly duties. I'm calling you as kings and priests. It goes back to the original design in Genesis 1 where God has created the world and he puts man in the garden to steward the garden, to be king over that garden, to do the priestly work of worship through that garden. He says, that's who you are out there in this world. But then I love this. Not just that, you are a set-apart nation. When God thinks about his followers, his disciples, he doesn't think about us just in terms of boundaries that we see, natural boundaries between nations. He sees a nation rising up across the world of people that know that they belong to Jesus. And then I love this part. You are his own possession. He's constantly keeping us in his hands, friends. We belong to him. And you know what? He keeps us like this, that he wants to show us to the world out in the open. So that we can proclaim his excellencies. Not how excellent your church is, how excellent the worship team is, how excellent the preacher is, how excellent you are as a Christian family, how excellent Jesus is. If we don't proclaim his excellency here, we might as well close the doors of this church. Because that's the purpose of our lives, is to Proclaim His Excellency. Peter says, go out there and proclaim Him. You have been given this identity that you may proclaim. Another version of the same verse is this. Dear friends, I want you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving brothers. I do apologize for the reference that's wrong at the top. It happens sometimes. But that's also in chapter 2. In fact, I want to encourage you to read the letter of 1 Peter every week for the next eight weeks. Make that your Bible reading. Read it slowly. A few verses, pause on it. Read it again for the second time through. The third time through. Let's all go ant, and by the end of the eight weeks, we can say the whole letter back to end. Can we do that? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We have a divine origin. We have an end time inheritance. We have fire-tested faith. And we are royal representatives. So I want to go back to the first picture I showed you today. When people look at you, do they see something that they've got to figure out? Or let's go to the last picture. Do they see something defined? When they look at you, are they like this writer that says, looks like Christianity is just an add-on. Why even bother? Or do they see something that's so defined that all of their hearts start shaking with expectation to know what this is all about. 
And all we've got to do is we've got to know this story. And we've got to be able to communicate it in our simplest of forms, just like Sibu did this morning. But before we carry on this morning, I want to give anyone in this room the opportunity to say that I need to be identified by God this morning. You might have grown up Christian. You might have done the right things. You might have gone to scripture union classes and hear the gospel and the message every week, but you're still defined not by God because that moment where you've been born again to a living hope hasn't happened for you. This morning, I believe God wants to meet some of you with that message afresh and new and again. So can we close our eyes? I'm going to ask Alrika to just sing one part of a song that we already sang this morning. And I want you to think about this. Where is your identity? Is it found in the living hope of Jesus Christ and being born again to that? Or is it elsewhere? Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. Oh, his love for me. respond by praying that we would be a people out there that the world will look at and not say oh how they are trying to be like us but I want to know how to be like that but before we get there some of you in this room Jesus is about to meet you and change your life forever he's about to make it very sure and very clear that you're a child of God so with the eyes closed I want to ask if you want to be born again to the living hope of Jesus Christ. This morning is your opportunity. Today is a day of salvation. We want to pray for you. Can you put up your hand if that's you? Looking across the room, just put it up. Keep it up. Okay. 
Unless my eyes are not seeing clearly, I didn't see any hands. But here's the second part of this morning. Friends, there are thousands of people that you get to see that's not here. Not because we want to try and have big church, but they can't sing this song. Can we say this morning, Lord, reorientate my life in such a way? Because I want to be able to make the first call I did and see 10 hands go up. Because that's what we're here for. When Jesus comes in the full revelation of Jesus Christ, the only thing we take with us from this world are souls. The only thing. So everything you're spending all your time on that will remain here will remain here. Except souls. So let's go live out in the open. I'm not talking about inviting people to church. For some, it takes a long time before they put their feet through these doors. But oh my boy, I'm talking about preaching the gospel out there because it's the only hope of salvation. And we should be an unashamed people. We should be able to know this off by heart and carry this in our hearts so that out in the open, people can come to us and say, what is it that you have that I'm missing in my life? And we can say, Jesus and they get to raise their hands and says, I need to be born again. So if you want to respond this morning, and I don't want you to stand if your heart's not there, we're not going to do lip service here, friends. We're doing real hardcore, hardcore, yes, Jesus. If you want to respond this morning, says, Lord, my life needs to count for this. I want you to stand. I'd love to pray for you. If you need to take a moment to think about it, that's okay. If you're sitting, there's no judgment here. I want you to be sure about this response. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray for those who are seated. Spirit of God, will you speak to them? May you answer the question, what is in the way? You speak to us. Lord, if we need to Get some things realigned. Let this be the day that we do it. If we've got to take our faith out in the open, Lord, let this be the moment that we do it. Lord, I thank you for everyone that's standing. Sure, Lord, this week there's opportunities. This week. Today there's opportunities. We're going to bump into some people as we go to the shops. We're going to bump into our own families, maybe on WhatsApp. Whatever it is, Lord, there's an opportunity for us to live out in the open and carry this hope, knowing where we come from, knowing where we're going. Know that in between, you get us through hard times and knowing, Lord, that we can lift our heads as royal representatives of your kingdom. So I pray that for your church this morning, Lord. Let this be a week where we get to tell the story of the hope that we carry. Thank you, Jesus, that you are speaking to us clearly this morning. Lord, forgive us. And I repent this morning myself, Lord, for the times where I've built my life around me. I want to live open, Lord. I want to live out in the open in such a way, Lord, that Jesus is seen by those around me. I pray, Lord, that you would put us in circumstances and situations where we can clearly know that this is a moment to be a resident alien to maybe be here physically, but knowing we've come from somewhere else. 
empower your church anew by the power of your spirit. Thank you that it's not by our own strength, but you say, Jesus, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses into all the world. So we pray again, Spirit of God, come and empower us, your church. If you want a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit's power and His infilling, which is continually available, just put your hands up. Say, Spirit of God, Come and empower me afresh. Let this not be just an emotional moment, but I want to actually from this moment now go and live this message that was shared this morning. I want to take it out in the open. Lord, may we be defined as these people were back in the day that Peter wrote to. May we be that defined and even more defined, Lord, because we are 2,000 years into the story and we've got so much resource to help us grow in our Christ-likeness. Let us be a defined people by the power of your spirit, by looking at your word and by doing this together in fellowship so we can keep each other on this road that you have for us. I pray, Lord, that the 4th of September 2022 would be a day marked in the life of every nation, Halderberg, in Somerset West. Lord, where we are people that says, let's now go out into the open. We're taking this message boldly because we know where we come from and we want to bring as many as we can along with us thank you Jesus for your faithfulness and the people of God say Amen Amen.